the only Doctor Who podcast that's like flirting with a mountain range. Ambitious, but not particularly productive. I'm Nathan. I'm Todd. I'm Peter. And I'm really looking forward to the return of Carol Ann Ford for the end of this one. For this one. Well, we've been watching Matt Smith's Doctor for four years now, from his first adventure on Earth with the Atraxi to his last adventure on Trenzalore with literally everyone he's ever met. We've laughed, we've cried, and we've done the giraffe dance at Amy's wedding. But have we learned anything? Let's find out as we embark on our Matt Smith retrospective. Time for Snog Marry Avoid. Five, six, seven. I'll have to get my chapstick for this one. <laughs> I mean, I think you would have to marry season five because you could just watch it over and over. It's yeah. really great. You'd probably avoid series six because it's problematic in the arc and you never want long-term problems. Series seven, well, okay, I could snog series seven or bits of it. I could snog a town called Mercy. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Or Ben Browder in a town called Mercy. Yeah. 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 So I would have a different answer from this, I would snog series six. I would definitely marry series five because I think it's a thing of beauty. Series Sorry, I got there first. Uh, series six is sort of problematic, I think, but it's interesting, whereas series seven I think is just a bit dull. Isn't that what marriage is? <laughs> so I'm told. <laughs> Richard? Oh, it's, it's all a... Post-COVID hangover blur, but that's just because we're here on a Sunday. Um, there were so many gorgeous moments. I think I'd probably just keep them all on an app and just dip into each and every one of them as I so pleased because I'm not really up for long terms <laughs> with, with, with this lot anymore. No, I, that's a it's a good and fair question, and I'd have to look at it overall. What do we end up going back to and watching since 2005? It is this period. It is I, you might say Stephen Moffat's first few years, or you might just call it Matt's time. But they are the ones I go back to. So, yeah, I think I'd have a clandestine affair with each and every one of them and not tell the other two. Well, thank you. I agree with you, Peter. <laughs> I'm definitely on the um, Series 5 bandwagon mm. and uh, avoiding Series 6 at all. Well, not, not at all costs, but I think there's things in there that just I don't connect with. So, yeah, no, there we go. Well, this is the Matt Smith retrospective. So let's talk about Matt. What's his legacy? What do you take away now that it's been – how long has it been? Over 10 years since he was the Doctor. Gosh. 
he is the only other doctor since John Pertwee who I was bereft when he left. I wanted him to stay. I wanted another season. I didn't think we'd seen all that he could give. And I just think it was a tragedy that he didn't do another year. I think at the moment, and I'm just starting the Capaldi era now in preparation for our coverage of that on the podcast, I still think that he is the best portrayal of the Doctor in the show's history, including the classic series. I think he gets it absolutely right. And people don't – I think some people don't properly appreciate how – unpleasant a character he is, that he is actually a kind of bad guy, like Moffat's other Doctor. And I think that I want that from the Doctor. I want that sort of Tom in horror fang rock Doctor who is slightly unpleasant. There's a facade of geniality and kind of silliness to this Doctor, but there's a real kind of steel to him as well. And you know, comparing him to David Tennant when they're doing angry acting, for instance, I think Matt can be properly terrifying in a way that uh, Tennant never actually seems to manage. So uh, he's my favourite, I think. It may be splitting hairs slightly, but I don't think Matt is the strongest performer to ever play the Doctor. All right, I agree I with that. Maybe David Tennant and Peter Capaldi are, on balance, better and more varied actors. But Matt delivers something in the role, which neither of them quite reach. It's just a role that was made for him, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a distinction between actor and performer, isn't yes, there? Like definitely. Tom might be the greatest performer in the role. I would say or, he is, actually. Yeah, or maybe Pat. But Pat's also an actor. Pete is an actor more than a performer. Tom lives role. it. And yeah, that's why yeah. as a young people were, and still are actually, drawn into his performance. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mentioned Pertwee earlier. Pertwee, no one make great claims for as an actor, but he's a consummate performer. He yeah. brings the Doctor to life. And you could see the care and subtlety and conviction. He really loved this part. And you could say that actually for pretty much all of them. They all took it very seriously and their duty of care, you might say, mm. to not just to the work, actually to the audience. Um you hear that Tom's saying, he, oh, I played it to children, but I think he played it to university students and that's why the humour worked both ways because young people, you know, are always aspirant to their older brothers and sisters who are, mm. you know, they want to be part of that humour. Older people have that sense of nostalgia for when they still had hope and joy <laughs> and therefore, you know, and read Douglas Adams with, um, without the conviction that he was a perfect seer and all of this is actually happening. So, you know, there's... There's that sense of fun. Billy, I keep going back to for the freshness and uniqueness and the power, just the, the anger of him is joyful and Capaldi carries that. But I think the only one who actually lived the part and I couldn't see they were acting was Billy and Tom because they're both a bit bags of nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that it's quite warming the fact that David Tennant and Peter Capaldi were both fans and so they knew what they were taking on, whereas Matt came into it fresh. He didn't really know anything until he sat down and watched Tomb of the Cybermen, yeah. uh, which Moffat had lent him. And the fact that he became such a good custodian of the flame um, and sort of became a great ambassador for the show and became someone who clearly loved the show counted for a lot, I think. Yeah, Tennant has a very sort of self-conscious desire to be the Doctor, which is, I think, why his Doctor is so 
so good because he knows what works in the role. And I think that Matt doesn't have that. Matt isn't aware of what works when you're the doctor. And so he just does really strange, interesting things with the role. I get the sense that Matt, I don't know, how was the rehearsal period working for them by this period compared to, you know, was it the same amount of rehearsal for episodes that they had under Russell that they have now? I mean, I think you do get rehearse record. They may have a day where they sort of yeah. rehearse with a new lead, you know, well, that, a new co-lead or whatever. Although we but, know that Matt never did it filmically and never gave the same performance twice on yeah. the take. Well, remember, there are all those stories coming out from the production of Series 5 before he'd been seen on television over how his performance was erratic and maybe wasn't quite there. But, of course, we realised from watching it that, that was just him sorting out what would land and what would work. And, of course, it's magic on screen. Yeah. I mean, we said that his first day where he's shooting the Angels two-parter in Series 5. The beach with River and Amy. He's perfect, like absolutely perfect. We don't get any sort of weird four-to-doomsday performance full of things that never end up being part of the sort of long-term role. If Doctor Who were the tarot card deck, and in many ways it is, he is the holy fool and he, he leaps in and I love that that's at the foot of a cliff face because that's his performance. <laughs> he really does. And I see him the flapping of the arms. Like, you're winging this. You haven't worked out what you're doing. You're doing it right now and that's where the energy is coming yeah. from. If the you audience- your arms hard enough, anyone will wing it. Hello, <laughs> True. Oh, oh, I thought of Nicola with all the feathers and the allergies. Poor thing. Um, but, but, yeah, it, that kind of panic will draw an audience in because it's, it's such a visceral thing, observing performance, and has no time dilation scale to it. Oh, such a Doctor Who thing to say. So, you know, it can be recorded. It can be 20 years ago. It can be 60 years ago. The audience will respond as if it's theatre and we're in the room mm. because we're committed to the performances. Has anyone watched um, Sex Education recently again? Uh, no, time? not since the announcement, actually. I, I, oh, I graduated let my... a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. And, and I wasn't going to. I thought, no, I want to see what Shooty does. And the first two episodes, there's that matte quality and I can see now what Russell, I'm sure he's done many other interesting things, but I can see why Russell has said, yes, you. Yeah. Shooty just has that gorgeous manic, I'm still in control. You're not, you're making it up and it could go either way. And there's that tightrope tension that really, really works. Tom had that as well. And Billy definitely had it when he was, especially as he was getting older and those moments with Peter Purvis where he was being supported. Or yeah. see, like, it's just like, oh, you're really panicking. And it's so interesting to watch. Matt is such a natural in the role that I think that story that Stephen tells of him being the only one, he basically left the audition room and they all looked at each other and went, obviously it's him. Yeah, he is, was in the first six, wasn't he? The, the first, like the really early. He was third, I think, no. is what they say. He was the third person and then Moffat and Piers Wenger left the yeah. room and had a had drink. Had six. No, like said, <laughs> and said, well, we can't take Miriam Margulies because, you know, she'll eat us. Don't mix up your executive producers. <laughs> wow. Please keep that in. Please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was the 
third and they just immediately said we need to I think the story goes we need to snap him up because if we don't someone else will snap him up and he'll become a big star yeah. I think it's what Pierce Fanger said and Moffat said well let's prevent him from becoming a big star <laughs> that's a very Stephen thing to say isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. look I agree with you I agree with you Peter I think there is this quality to Matt that's just so natural and I think in series five there's just this energy before you see him on screen before he sees himself on screen. Yeah. That is different from six and seven, I do think. But, I mean, that's like any any doctor, you know, once it's out there and yeah. feedback is given and they see that, you know, there is slight changes. Yeah. But that boyish energy and charm of, of yeah. series five, I don't think, has ever been repeated in the entire run of the new series and I think it really sets him up for his whole run. Season five is quite an innocent performance, isn't it? Whereas I think after that, when he's seen himself on screen and when he's seen how popular he is with the general public, it becomes in not a bad sense, a more calculated performance. But he's good all the way through. I think the writers have seen him too. That's the other thing. Yes, that's yeah. right. And we said he hits the ground running in Time of Angels, which was he shot first. But let's also pay tribute to Stephen's writing because he gives him all of the material that he needs in that episode. He runs the entire gamut from comedy yeah. to high drama. And in those first scenes, he's also acting opposite River Song, yeah. Alex Kingston. And I think that was a perfect scene partner to start off with. Yes, I mean, you can't tell that it's his first no. filming at all. And Not I think, all. you know, it's just slots in so effortlessly into that entire run. And I think having um, Alex Kingston there for him to go against, it just sets the tone for what's to come. I also think he successfully does old in a way that Tennant and Eggleston probably don't. And it's something that they really want to emphasise in the new series. And Matt has that big old face, big old boat race. Yeah. Um, and he's very still and even though he's, you know, barely got a line on his face, he's like 27 or something, he really conveys the kind of gravity of how old the Doctor is. And yeah. I think that's amazing. It's that dichotomy. So just Stephen Moffat said at the time, I just remembering he said, um, Matt walked in and was a cheeky schoolboy and a wise old man of the universe at exactly the same point. And you need to be able to play young and old simultaneously. Many actors find that difficult to achieve. And so that was it. We knew instantly. I think that Moffat said in DWM that he was like an old man in the body of an underwear model. Yeah. yeah. He also said he's- Ew, by the way. Ew. <laughs> yeah. I think Stephen. I've seen that Ew. video. <laughs> he also- it's- No, it's- Oh, hang on. Vengeance on Paros? I was good. Yes. Thank you, Todd. We, 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 we all had our finger on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of our listeners, DJ Alpha T, asked, do you think Matt left at the right time? And to paraphrase what he also had to say, would another year be drawn out or allow Moffat oh. to wrap up storylines, not the rush job in time of the Doctor? Interesting. I take issue with the premise of the question. <laughs> <laughs> time of the Doctor's amazing. I think, too, that the rush job in Time of the Doctor was always what he was going to do. I mean, those sort of long-term arcs basically can be dealt with in a line of dialogue. So Moffat uses Time of the Doctor to make that point. 
in a way those things work as they're happening, but they never really work uh, when they're solved. And it was all sort of there already, wasn't it? I mean, we knew that Madame Kavarian was going to stop the Doctor and that the church was going to stop the Doctor. None of those revelations were were new. They just explicitly said what we'd kind of worked out. So I don't think we do a rush job in time of the Doctor. I would have liked more Matt, and you can see that he was sort of setting things up for there to be more Matt. And so, you know, we go straight to Trenzalore immediately after mm. Day of the Doctor. But I don't think it matters. And and we've got Capaldi in Series 8, and he's pretty great. I don't think there's any doctor who I've said I'm glad that well maybe one who I've said I'm glad they're gone and um, I wouldn't like another season with them but with Matt it's particularly acute it just felt like he had so much more to give and he's in the yeah. prime of his yeah. life and the prime of his acting life and we sort of lost him a little bit too early I think do you know I saw Morbius in the last couple of days really did you push him over a cliff <laughs> <laughs> not afraid of Morbius but the terrible film that Matt's in and you know I've seen that and it took me those seconds to remember what the hell that was because it's so exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I don't want to cut you off. Well, I just did. Sorry. It's much like this podcast. I feel there could have been a whole other arc and a whole other, other character exploration and perhaps a dark side doctor. So I think we were all thinking exactly the same thing. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is that he's not had a stellar film career after being the doctor, but he's had a pretty seriously worthwhile TV career, hasn't he, with The Crown, which at the time was, you know, the most expensive TV show ever made. And there's no true distinction between TV and film these days. No, both that's right. Prestigious no, that is true. Other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Game of Thrones, where apparently he's very good, even though I will never watch it. Right. Mm. Mm. It's got Diana Riga, apparently. Yeah, no, it does. Why won't, you watch, why won't you watch Game of Thrones? Well, it's just too violent and unpleasant think, for me. I thought you were going to say it's too long. And too long. <laughs> and there are no <laughs> robots in it. Got a nod to Doctor Who there. <laughs> um, no, when I say a darker Doctor, I mean perhaps, you know, an alt-universe, Valyard-type Doctor, but just really let him stretch because I'm really agreeing with what Peter's saying is that we didn't see enough. It is the thing, you know, they always say it, Troughton said it, always leave them wanting more. Yeah. It's the old theatre adage. And, yeah, I get that. I don't think it would have felt stale. I don't know that it might it actually, and no unfairness to Jenna Louise, but I don't know that that would have worked as a single pairing for a whole other year. There could have maybe a bit of a play or let her go home, have someone else come in, that kind of thing. But, no, there were definitely new ideas. And you can see... Perhaps um, presaging what Stephen Moffat was going to do in the next few years. That no, there were definitely ideas to explore. I just want, I really just want Matt and Missy up against each other. <laughs> I think Missy is designed to be with Capaldi. Capaldi. Yeah, because yeah. they're both horribly Scottish. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but having said that, I think um, if he'd continued and gone with the Missy line, they may not have cast no. Michelle in that role. Mm, um, mm. Somebody more, well, they may have, because he works very well with actresses who are older than him, you know? Yeah. If we look at Tasha Oli Lamb. Olivia Madame, Coleman. Olivia Coleman. Madame Vastra and, of course, River Song, you know. Oh. All and, of course, uh, Helen McCrory in Vampires of Venice, which I think is a stunning performance that 
two of them together in that one scene is one of the best performances I think Matt gives. Have you seen her in anything else? She plays Sherry Blair in something opposite, you know, Sheen, who is required by law to play Tony Blair and everything. Is it the Helen Mirren film? Yeah, Queen? maybe it's the Queen. Maybe yeah. she's in the hat. Todd's got lots of questions. I would just finish off with when you put him against someone of genuine BAFTA British heritage theatre royalty, such as Miss Riggs, such as Miss McCrory, oh, my goodness, he blows the camera out. It's yeah. just beautiful to you watch. You see it early on in The Beast Below. She's the bloody queen, mate. Those scenes sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... He could have done another year. It would have been interesting to see what they would have done with Clara with him. Would they have gone down the road they go in Series 8? But him leaving at that time, you know, it is what it is and it does leave you wanting more and I'm okay with that too. Let's turn our um, tide back to Series 5 and as we sit with it now... Our thoughts on that series, Karen and Arthur and Matt and the themes in there. I think it vies with series four for the title of best new series series. It is really, really good. And it's absolutely, it's that thing, you know, it's like series one where it's everything that everyone has been intending to do with Doctor Who for decades and let's just do this thing and it works incredibly well. And Moffat has clearly been, you know, thinking what would I do if ever I became Doctor Who showrunner since he was about 12 and he has this thing, the fairy tale thing, the thing about childhood and adulthood, the thing about men being like children, all of that sort of stuff about maturity and also the stuff about storytelling. And so it's perfect. It's a beautiful, polished thing. And we were talking about deep breath just before we recorded. I've and- cleaned my teeth. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and you made the point, Todd, that its biggest flaw is that it's not the 11th hour and it's because the 11th hour is a perfect thing in the same way that a Christmas carol is a perfect thing. These are beautifully, cleverly plotted, well-written, well-performed. Oh, I love Stephen Moffat yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and, and so... And so series five is that, I think. Series five has its flaws, but it is a great series of Doctor Who. And it's brilliant where it needs to be. It starts out well. It ends brilliantly with Pandorica. It's got a great Christmas episode tagged on the end. And it's also got that crucial two-parter in the middle, Mm. which is really amazing. So what you take away from the season is structurally it's really strong. Yeah. And it does the thing, too, where we've had space arcs in series one to four, and this arc is entirely about Amy and whether she is going to accept adulthood or cling on to her childhood. And so that's thematically really strong, and particularly if you're a 50-year-old watching a TV show intended for kind of 10-year-olds, that's a very urgent theme, I think, for for all of us. Every modern doctor under RTD and Moffat has one season where it all comes together. Unfortunately for Eccleston, it was his one and only season, which all came together. But Tennant has series four, Capaldi has series 10, 
Matt, in a slight reversal, his first season is the one where it all comes together. Yeah. And it's just, it's a perfect piece of television, isn't it? I actually think Series 8 is strong. I mean, that's going off topic. It's pretty good. I mean, there's other seasons which are pretty good and in some cases excellent, but just their best seasons coalesce and Series 5 is an example of that. So from this season, what's one to watch? If you had to recommend one. Victory of the Daleks. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) One to watch, one to avoid, and one that flies under the radar. Can I choose two-parters for those? Yeah. Whatever. So I think the Angels two-parter is one to watch. Phenomenal. So good. So great. And a brilliant cliffhanger. I think the Silurians two-parter is one to avoid. Tick. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) How prescient. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's terrible. And I think that The Beast Below is massively underrated. Oh, interesting. Mm. Nice choice. Yeah, no one can disagree with that, except I think The Lodger is massively underrated. Yeah, it's very good too. Mm. I agree. I also think Vampires of Venice gets (gasps) overlooked a lot. It really does, doesn't it? That was going to be my overlooked because of Miss McCrory. Yeah. And even Amy's Choice, which I really like, I think is overlooked too. Like with the- It's very cleverly timed and played out, isn't it? Mm. It's very subtle. It's very funny as well. I think that- that was the thing that I realised as we went through it this time. I'd never realised just it's written by a sitcom writer, you know, it's Simon Nye. It is incredibly cleverly written. And it's a very knowing nod yes. with a claw hammer against the kneecaps to every sitcom about older folk in <laughs> older homes doing older things together. Yes, push I them mean, off the roof. I think if they could have got Penelope Keith, they would have done it to her. <laughs> That was a misquote of the mutants. They're all old people doing old things all together. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Much like this podcast. <laughs> all right, let's jump to Series 6. Where do you stand with Series 6? Themes, thoughts? I think that it does have the problems that we identified. I think it tries to go places that the show can't successfully go, that it just doesn't have the weight to deal with. And I can see what Moffat's going for, but I don't think it quite comes off. In spite of that, though, I like the arc and I like the continuing sort of thing with the Doctor, that he is a problem, that he doesn't tell the truth, that he isn't honest with his companions, and that he puts them through things for that reason. So you've got a problematic doctor, you know, who invites everyone to watch him get shot dead by Lake Silencio, who doesn't tell Amy that he's concerned about her pregnancy, who doesn't tell Amy and Rory Mm -hmm. why we're going to the monastery acid mine thing doesn't say why we're doing that and all of that stuff is kind of what i want from the doctor i think the end is much better than i remember it being i think the initial two-parter is very good i think it's got a lot going for it i agree with some of those comments (laughs) you know i like the first two-parter and on our rewatch i certainly think the the wedding of river song is a good conclusion and you Mm -hmm. pointed out how it's the reverse structure um, from the previous year, and I have problems with a number of episodes throughout <laughs> the season, but I do appreciate it a lot more, goo babies aside. Yeah. Peter? I think it suffers to an extent from living in the shadow of Series 5, yeah. but 
I like the fact that it's trying different things. What I said structurally about series five is kind of the reverse here in that you've got really good episodes, but they're not the arc episodes in this season. You've got episodes like uh, The Doctor's Wife and The Girl Who Waited and specifically The God Complex, and they, for me, are the highlights, whereas it feels like they shouldn't be the highlights. It feels like it should be the opening episode, the closing episode, the big two-parter in the middle. Certainly not the big two-parter in the middle. We've got the discovery of Nick Huron to that year. Yep. And don't forget uh, Adam Smith from Series 5. He contributed an awful lot to the success of that season by directing The Eleventh Hour and The Angels Two-Parter. Richard, any comments? I just can't get past the whole – I'm not going to use the same terms that we did with the pregnancy thing. It, you can't land this. Yeah. And he does his absolute best and sterling casting, you know, of – Really, it was miraculous to resurrect Betty Davis and put her back in the action <laughs> and have, and have, her do that, have her do that thing. But it's just, oh, I'm really surprised there wasn't more of a backlash, actually. But maybe that's the point of science fiction and to have us question and feel queasy. I don't think it's the point of Doctor Who. And, and I really don't know where, and I guess it's just on a narrative thing, I just don't see how the character of Amy could come back from that with any yeah. sense of trust or any wish to travel with yeah. him anymore. Yeah. I'm going to say something here, and, and I think it's to do with Amy, is that for me it's Karen's performance in this season, especially towards the end, um, is that I really begin to like Amy a lot more. Mm. I'm not a big fan of hers in Series 5 and or necessarily Karen's acting performances and I think she really grows in Series 6 and, and I really enjoy her immensely in Series 7. Maybe it's the hair. I don't know. <laughs> Got to get that in. Do you think it could specifically be the girl who waited because that's an absolute showcase for her? She is great in that. Um, maybe it's because... Amy is a team with Rory, you know, and I and I love Arthur so much. Maybe that's why, rather than fighting against the previous season where she's in love with the Doctor sort of thing, and 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 I always feel that poor Arthur is an afterthought. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just that storyline where she's really in love with her husband that helps. Nathan, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm articulating I mean, it. She she isn't in love with the Doctor. She just wants to jump him after having a difficult time crawling through the crash of the Byzantium. And it is established, isn't it, beyond any doubt in Amy's choice, which is why it's called that, that she will choose Rory over the Doctor. And given that she starts the season by escaping from her wedding by running off with the Doctor. Yeah, you're right. Perhaps I'm misremembering my own journey here where I actually begin to like her a lot sooner than, yeah. than Series 6. It's actually that second half of Series 5, whereas I really... But I think it's, time pro through. it's probably a visceral feeling on your behalf that mm. you're in Rory's corner. And so, Amy, what makes her interesting in Series 5 is that she's not a clearly morally delineated character. Yeah, and I think that's deliberate. I think that's absolutely deliberate. I think that we are meant to see. So we get this synthesis at the end of five, don't we, where she says, yes, I'm going to my wedding and my imaginary friend's mm. going to be there and we're both going to run off with him together at the end. She gets to have yep. both childhood and adulthood at the same time. And when she rejects her relationship with Arthur. She's she's like embarrassed by Rory in the 11th hour. Like she kind of doesn't want to admit that 
he's her boyfriend. So much so that at the end of that episode, when we see the wedding dress on the back of the door, we actually don't know who she's going to marry. Yeah. Is she going to marry Jeff? Is she going to marry Rory? We actually don't know at that point. So it's only after that that we discover that uh, it's after the Angels two-parter, isn't it, that we discover that it's Rory. And that's the synthesis of the childhood versus adult theme because when you are growing up, you get crushes on people. Yeah. Um, whereas when you become an adult, hopefully that turns into something more and true love and the Doctor is a crush and Rory is her true love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One to watch, one to avoid. It can be more than one. I've got a list. <laughs> <laughs> and ones that fly under the radar. Series six. I would watch uh, – I think the two-parter at the beginning is really great. It's epic and properly filmic and stuff. I think it's really, really good. So that's one to watch. I think the one to avoid is probably Night Terrors, even though it has stuff going for it. I think it's pretty terrible. You're pulling a face. I am. The one to avoid is clearly Gangers. It's Oh, awful. yes, God. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes, it's the Nadir of modern <laughs> Doctor Who up until Christmas 2017. Yeah, it is terrible. Mm. Wow. Oh, tick, tick. <laughs> I, I ticked both of those boxes. I will also throw in – oh, yeah, Night Terrors is awful. I hate the Gangers two-parter. I I avoid pirates because I just think it falls to pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. And what's the other one? Oh, let's kill Hitler. I'm having a conniption. Like, although there's good stuff in there, I just I just struggle. Do you disagree with the premise of that? <laughs> no, we should kill Hitler. Thank you, Peter, <laughs> as ever. No, it's 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 the whole I'm dying on the stairs segment. That's dreadful. That just yeah, not even Matt can save that. Dicks in my mind. Yeah. So I just really struggle with it. Several times in his era, Matt is asked to do the impossible. And 99% of the time when asked to do that, he pulls it off. But in that sequence, he doesn't. Maybe in the Mr. Clever sequence in Nightmare and Silver, he doesn't pull it off. But yeah. Yeah. Also, everyone go and watch The God Complex. That's really great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One yeah. to watch. Yeah. The God Complex. <laughs> I don't oh. think it's the script necessarily either. I think it's Nick Huron. I think it's incredible. Same with Girl Who Waited. Look, The Girl Who Waited and The Gold Complex are a yeah. one-two punch for me at the towards the end of yeah. the season. And they're really needed at that point and, in the season. Yes. Really and needed. They outshine. And I mean, I, I know that Stephen's two-part at the beginning and The Wedding has some great stuff in there. But for me, these two outshine. Maybe it's yeah. because they're a little bit more not overly clever, like not, not trying to be yeah. overly clever. Like I just enjoy them and I think they're solidly directed and oh. beautifully played by everyone. They're like a town called Mercy the next year. They are the gold in Doctor Who. They are the great standalone episode. Yeah. yeah. The other one is The Doctor's Wife, which I think is also just beautiful. Mm. And beautifully directed. Yes. And Under the Radar? God Complex. Maybe Whoa. God Complex. A closing Time is another one which yeah. I've actually grown to love. I think Closing Time is pretty good. I like Wedding of River Song in a way that a lot of other people don't. Okay, series. Let's go to series seven. Where do we sit with everything now? How do we feel about it? Well, I think it's the weakest of the three, but 
what I never realised before is how much better the first half is than the second half. And that first half with Amy Rory is really actually quite great. I think it's a great run. Mm. It really is. Every single one of those episodes has got something to recommend it, even if I like some more than others. Yeah. But I also do think that it does flow on to the next couple of episodes. I actually do think the first three Clara episodes, The Snowmen, Pelsus and John mm. and Rings all have yeah. are all very solid. Yeah. Mm. Uh, then it sort of begins to hit a bit of a speed bump after that. That 2012 run recaptures some of the Joie de Vivre of Series 5, I think. Yeah. It feels like a series that's really confident in itself. Um, it knows its characters and it takes you along with it. Richard? I'm just thinking along the same lines that it feels like a lovely – extension of Christmas going all through the year. At the time, it felt the haphazard nature of of the running of it, the timing of yeah. it. I, so a late season beginning after waiting so long since the Christmas story. But we were treated to some very good things. I don't think there's any poor story in the first mix at all, actually. Angels is more than we expected and mm. emotionally hits the mark. Going back, to Power of Three is a delight because yep. of the casting, because of Mark. And no, actually, see, there are two kinds of scripts in this arc for me, and they're the ones entirely due to Mr. Moffat, and they're the ones that, firstly, when he's at his most empowered at the beginning of the writing period and, you know, he's on fire and he, he's so full of wonderful complex ideas, but they do tend to take precedence over letting the actors do their job. Yeah. And there is a subsumation of the actors in those stories, and we've mentioned some of them already, where they are working to please Stephen and not working to their best skills as in working with each other. So show simpler scripts, which maybe don't deliver as much on paper, such as, uh, I wouldn't say God complex, because that's actually good on both levels, but things where the character driven Lodge is a really good example of, but in this season, just going back to it, you've got um, say Town Called Mercy, which is, you know, a play on an Elmore Leonard uh, Western of the 50s and 60s. And again, very spare writing where the actors have to do things with their faces and their pauses and their tones. And I think we're rewarded when they're just allowed to work. Sometimes they swing towards one, sometimes to the other, and then we get a nice balance between the two. So for, for me, this season is at its most successful in the quiet moments where the script is perhaps more paired and the actors are allowed to do their work. One to watch, one to avoid, one that flies under the radar. Oh, Town Called Mercy? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really very good. One to avoid. Nightmare and Silver. Yeah, it's dismal, isn't it? Yeah, or Which Hyde. One? I mean, I don't know how you could watch Hyde oh, because you'd wake up oh. after 40 minutes and suddenly it's over. Yeah, it's kind of terrible. Uh, what flies under the radar? Rings of Akaton. Yeah, maybe Akaton does. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I'm sitting here because, like, these are answers that I would be giving, <laughs> you know. But I also think Dinosaurs flies under the radar because yeah. I actually really enjoy I that. I do too. And I think Snowman is another one which I just I keep Snowman. going back yeah, to all the time so as one to watch. Rings but of Akatan, it's like Doreen's mopeds, they fly under the radar. <laughs> no, no, Rings yeah. is definitely. And I also think the Bills of St. John also flies yep. under the radar. I think there's a lot going on there. And I, whenever I come back to it, I think, oh, it's the Bells of St. John. And then I watch it and go, oh, no, that's actually good. Yeah. So when you hit that little 
sort of dull run of Cold War, Hyde, and Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Uh, so you yeah. think, you know, we're just marking time here. Yeah. Avoid, avoid, avoid. We also, we're forgetting about the Crimson Horror, which is another one which I oh, think yeah. should be applauded. Wonderful. Although I really enjoy Cold War. And I, I, it is overcast. Yeah. And I, that's fine. And, no, it, yeah. and, and it is a tribute to the champions, as we probably <laughs> mentioned before. No, I really, really like that story and everyone plays it beautifully. It's a lovely piece. I like it when it's simple and then they're allowed to work. And it does feel like a per- – it feels like a Malcolm Hulk yeah. pared-down novelette. Yeah. And something we haven't mentioned that really works for the era, really elevates it, is the Christmas episodes. So yeah. Matt gets four, like David yeah. had four and like Capaldi gets four. Um, and three out of four are amazingly good. And they really bring the era up, I think. Well, you, one of my questions on my sheet mm-hmm. here is about the Christmas specials and how as a group they compare to tenants and, and what you think of each of those episodes. I agree with you. I think A Christmas Carol is just perfectly crafted. Um, the Snowman, I adore The Snowman. Yeah, it's great. Right? I think it's my favourite only because I get brain drained from watching A Christmas Carol because I get all, <laughs> you know, timey-wimey. And Time of the Doctor, I really enjoy now. really good. Mm, yeah. And then there's The Doctor and The Widow and The Wardrobe and nobody dies. That's something that is a real positive in, I guess, that. I thought you would hate that. Yeah, it Todd. might be a positive for you. <laughs> it's oh not. no! Don't get me wrong. I'm trying to find the good in it, but it is like the worst of them, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think there's just nothing very much there, and there's a lot of kind of filling in time, and it is that sort of thing where it's kind of like, oh, I've got to do another one of these. You know, what's a Christmas book that we love? But something needs to happen when they go into Narnia. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there needs to be the horrible queen. There needs to be something in there, not just yeah. acid rain. Yeah, there's no villain and yeah. that's kind of a problem, I think. Mm. Russell's Christmas specials were always entertaining, but they were rarely amongst the best that each year had to offer, whereas a lot of Moffat's Christmas specials are among the best of the year. Yeah, Yeah, that thing. I mean, Christmas Carol is so surprising because all of the others have been just very much the sort of thing that you can watch when you're you're having a kind of post-Christmas lunch coma and you don't have to pay complete attention to it. And that's a deliberate choice and it's the, the right choice. And then to have Moffat come along and do something complex and interesting and heartbreaking and just magical. The up to that point, Voyage of the Damned is my favourite yeah. because it, I actually think it's the most entertaining and of yeah. all of and most substantial of all of the RTD ones. That's yeah. just for me anyway. All right, it's time to snog, marry, avoid. Uh, Claire Skinner, Tasha Lem or Kate Stewart? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I would marry Tasha Lem. I'd snog her, so that works. Yeah, she's fabulous. She's a Romulan, you know, and I think she's sort of really funny and likeable and the Doctor clearly kind of likes her, so, and, you know, he's got good taste in women, I suppose. Does he? I don't know. I can't tell. It's not my area. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Um, The Queen. and (laughs) And I would, I would snog Claire Skinner. She's quite nice. I think she's rather sweet. Uh, And I would avoid uh, what's-her-face because she's absolutely phoning it in. 
Right. <laughs> and Peter agrees he's nodding there. The love for Kate Stewart. What, what's your uh, If she's phoning it in, you can have phone sex with her. <laughs> I really love Kate Stewart. <laughs> the same characters? Oh, yes. Well, I'm, I've always loved Tasha Yar and thought she was <laughs> just superb, if a little oleaginous in her later career. Um, I'd really love Claire Skinner and I've seen her in other things and there's just, again, I'd probably snog Bill Bailey yeah, because yeah. he's really underserviced so he'll be definitely needing and he's also just so brilliant and funny and, again, it's those things that, I mean, there's nothing for him to do but that face. Well, so, yeah, if it was Tasha Yar, Claire Skinner or Bill <laughs> Bailey, definitely. I think you could marry Arabella Weir. She's played the Doctor. You'd really want quiet times, though. She can get a bit <laughs> shouty. You know, it's like having a re- having a really lovely, fun, manic time with, you know, one of your favourite people. I won't mention anyone right now. I'll look at someone on the series. Anyway. We know so she like, can cook. Well, she can cook. But, yeah. I mean, it's like snogging Bonnie Langford or living with Bonnie Langford. I mean, do you really want to hear those scales? No, both. Every both. morning. Yes. Scales every morning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am going to marry Tasha. Yeah. No, no, the skin of evil. Um, Tasha Lem. Yeah. I'm going to avoid Claire Skinner because I just can't stand her voice. (laughs) And I will therefore snog Kate Stewart, even though she's phoning it in. Brilliant. It's a slight overbite there, too. I'd be very careful. Why would you snog Kate Stewart? She's got a more blank face than her dad. And I'm talking about the end of series (gasps) of Days of Cyberman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. Um, Matt's outfit change from series five to the end of series seven, certainly a lot more tailored and costume costume like. What do we think about that change from the Raggedy Man through? The uh, green coat to the fight. Yeah, yes, Richard. I was really wondering why Marvel was allowed to dictate how the action figures would be made from now on because it really just feels like something you'd buy, you know, from a stand rather than in an op shop. But then so does Jody's, and that's actually bought in an op shop. Not working on any <laughs> level for me right now. I, I don't like it when it's so designed. But then I love Tom's season 18, so there you go. Well, that's June Hudson, though. Yes. Yes. She's crazy. Why wasn't she asked? No. (laughs) I don't like it at all. The final costume? Yeah. No, awful. And it's the Doctor Who thing. I think that over that last 10 years of the classic series where everyone wore a coat that went to their knees, I think it was absolutely the right thing to avoid. And so Sylvester McCoy's costume comes as a bit of a relief and the previous costumes all kind of avoid that, I guess. Maybe Eccleston. I love the Series 5, Series 6 costume that Matt wears. I think it's really terrific. I like the green coat. Yeah, it's yeah, sweet. But I really dislike the purple. I think it's it's too designed. It's too much like a Doctor Who outfit. It sort of reflects the change in Matt's performance as well in that he's a bit more straight-jacketed by this costume that he's wearing rather than that kind of freewheeling energy that he had in the early days. Now, that's a really important point and something June Hudson did allude to in one of the DWMs is that the, the costume, and she was talking about what she designed with Lala, not for Lala, she said, I, I believe we always get a much more expressive performance from our actors 
when they are involved in the costuming and are allowed to imbue their character in with the design. And it's certainly true of an architectural space as well, whether that be domestic or something that's done for the public, a theatre or whatever. There is a sense of when you have community involvement or you're thinking about what's going to go on with what you're designing it will imbue the colour of the performance. And that's absolutely what happens here. And I think possibly why we don't like it, the fact that it's super designed is in itself aesthetically questionable, but it really does constrain the actor's performance. I also think um, the fact that we're not exactly in love with that last Series 7V, you know, yeah. and he's wearing that coat sort of ties into that too, yeah. you know. But I do agree. I just think having the shorter coat is, is quite an – Interesting thing, like the observation, I should say, that, you know, it just we're not in the long coats which yeah. make it a costume, really. Yeah. Who goes around with that unless it's winter, I guess. And yeah. Russell made that very clear. He wanted it just to be one step away from what you're wearing in the street yeah. or with, in Chris's case, um, a Barnsley accountant on a <laughs> cheeky Friday off with the secretary. But, you know, that's what they do when they think they're being hit, what straight boys do when they want to look yeah. cool. But, yeah, it, it, it should be something that's accessible to a young fan. talk about something that Stephen really goes for, which is the families, the families of our lead. So let's talk about Amy's family. She's got an aunt, a mum and dad. Any thoughts? Oh, she's got that thing that hangs down from the ceiling. <laughs> Sheila Reed. <laughs> That's unfair. I mean, I'm, you know, I know she doesn't observe her boundaries, but that's harsh. <laughs> I like having relatives to keep an eye on you. What do you think about the families that he creates? Maybe I'll phrase it this way. We've got Amy's family, aunt, mum and dad, Rory's family, Brian, Clara's family, dad, mum, Linda and Gran, River's family, her mum and dad, and the Paternoster family, Vastra, Jenny and Strax. What do you think about the families that are created outside of the core four? Well, I mean, the only real proper family that's created is the Paternoster gang. And it's, I've said this before, that it's absolutely typical that Moffat should create a sort of series of secondary characters who are, you know, like a married couple, one of whom is a Silurian and you know, their Sontaran butler, that that's the sort of thing that they're very sort of strange and Doctor Who-ish. And we've seen him fish into his toy box full of action figures before for, yeah. uh, you know, the, the finale of the era in Time of the Doctor and for the finale of Series 5. Yeah. And I think they're really good. I think they're really funny. They're not at all the sort of thing that Russell wants to do, which is to create a kind of TV family yeah. that you might see in another One show. One is Soap, which is RTD. The yeah. other feels more Paul Cornell as in comic book writing because the characters and the way they assemble is a very comic DC Marvel yeah. way of doing it, which is quirky and fun and very contemporary. I think, you know, Russell is much more aware of what's going on in TV generally mm. and what makes for good successful television than Moffat. And I think, you know, mm. Moffat's a very skilled TV writer with sort of a particular set of talents. And so he's not interested in doing that thing. He's not interested in creating a family that's like a recognisable family from another TV show. Do you think that's a problem? Uh, look, personally, I like... 
the families in Russell a lot. It's one of the most important reasons that that's my favourite era of Doctor Who is, you know, Jackie, Francine, um, Sylvia. Like, they're all just wonderful. Neris. (laughs) Annalise. (laughs) See, Russell is aware of the comedy value of families, whereas that's not Stephen's mode of comedy. The only family that Stephen's interested in is the one that we're interested in, the nuclear family. Amy, Rory, River, the Doctor. Yeah. That's the family he's interested in. Yeah. Brian works, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brian's yeah. cool. And Brian is in, you know, basically in two episodes, isn't he? And they're the two Chibnall episodes. Is that right. all he's in? Yes. Um, and I just think it's such tremendously great casting. And both of those episodes are properly funny. And so Mark Williams is perfect. It works so well that when Chibnall becomes showrunner, he tries to recapture lightning in a bottle with Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Graham's fitfully funny, but um, I think- Who said Graham's fit and funny? No, fitfully, <laughs> like in fits. <laughs> Do you think that Matt's Doctor should have on the main show met any classic companions? Mm. I, obviously, he was in the Sarah Jane Adventures with uh, Joe. it's gorgeous. It's really good. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's wonderful. Is there any classic companion that you could ever have seen on the main series with him in an episode if you had to write something? Dodo. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Well, in no way following that statement at all, I was so excited at the thought that it's a 50th anniversary. At last, Caroline Ford gets to make her reappearance and I thought the sheet was cruel and there was no reason for her to put her under a sheet and (laughs) with with Pete and Silver and Cole. What was the question? (laughs) I've forgotten to. Chameleon? Nissa? Chameleon's in all of them. I... (laughs) Chameleon is in all of them. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Katie Manning should have been in this series. I don't want to see any old companions back. Does that make me a bad person? Yeah, We've very, done that very. And I just, I'm done yeah, with that. No, you're a very dark person. Yeah. <laughs> well, Nathan, what about returning monsters? How do you think in this era the Daleks, the Cybermen, the Centaurans, the Ice Warriors, the Silurians, and the Great Intelligence are handled versus something like mm. the Silence or the Angels? I don't think he cares for Daleks at all. And so he does some Dalek stories, but they're not at all about the Daleks. I mean, the big Dalek story, Asylum of the Daleks, is entirely about Amy and Rory's relationship and the Daleks aren't really the focus at all. So I don't think he's that interested in the Daleks. I don't think he's that interested in any of those things. I mean, you start seeing Cybermen come along in stories that aren't Cybermen stories, like in, you know, Pandorica or whatever. He just sees them as part of the Doctor Who aesthetic, but he doesn't want to write stories about them. He He's wants to write doing it because he thinks he should. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, much yeah. more interested in his own much more interesting villains and monsters like the Silence and the Angels. And in the people, you know, like he's interested in telling stories about the Doctor Amy and Rory or the Doctor and Clara, and he's not that interested in telling stories about the Cybermen at all. And the one thing that he does, I think, is the great intelligence where he brings that back, gives it a proper backstory that doesn't ruin it and creates a pretty entertaining update of that concept. Okay, fair enough. I think the Cyberman thing is interesting because I think Stephen actually uses Cyberman a lot more than, say, the Daleks. And I really like it in the uh, Series 5 finale where you've got the lone Cyberman um, with all of the tentacles coming out of the head, he tries to do something different there. But it is a case of, well, I'll pay lip service to it because when Amy gets taken in Series 6, 
I expected then some sort of we're going to have to search for her. But instead, you just get the big Cyberman fleet at the beginning of the next episode and then they're done. You know, it's like five minutes and you're gone. He sort of creates an in-story reason why there's a giant break in the middle of that series. So there's a giant break so that Matt can go off and find Mm. the baby, which I think is kind of cute. Like the in-story reason why there isn't a series five with David Tennant, because he decides he doesn't want a companion at the end of Planet of the Dead and he's not going to do a series this year. Yeah, but also, I mean, I think – you know, if we talk about the Centaurans and Silurians, he he's not interested in doing them the way that they're traditionally done. Like, let's have the one-off characters mm. that are not um, necessarily indicative of their race. So, a different twist. Hmm. Rather than mining those kind of B-list aliens like the Silurians, we needed and still need a really good Auton two-parter. <laughs> yeah, he's gone back with the Autons. There are Autons in Pandorica Opens. Yeah, but-, but, you know, we need a story built around them. We need a Zygon two-parter for the Autons. Yeah, yeah. What are the most successful monsters here in this in this era for you? One-off or other? created by Stephen. The silence are a pretty amazing concept. Yeah, and they look great. Yeah. Yeah. They are are freaky. Well, I mean, they're a bit like the angels. You know, it's usually just a sort of weird high concept thing where the angels sort of interfere with the way the story is told. You know, like although the angels move, we don't get to see that happen because as the audience, we're looking at them so they can't move while we're looking at them with the exception of that one moment in Forest of the Dead. And then the silence who justify the gaps in the storytelling, you know, like we don't get to see the bit that the silence is in because the characters can't remember it. And so it is very high concept and it, uh, they're both monsters that have an effect on how the narrative goes. Such a meta-structural yeah. critique of how film is. It's so French. <laughs> it's so yeah, – it is. It's so meta. Can't make that claim for the Ice Warriors. <laughs> no. Not generally, no. Oh, I would have to say River Song. <laughs> and, and, and reasons for that, because Mel is, you know, a point of danger to not just, you know, not just to the characters but to the structure of the season, indeed, of Doctor. Doctor Who, River Song has the power to completely pull apart what Doctor Who is. You can't imagine this era without her, can you? I didn't like her at the time, I've got to say. I don't know if I was the only one in the room about that. I just thought Alex is very good and has a lovely, breezy, again, a lovely 1940s Mm. American, not really slapstick, more of that, a a screwball comedy style, but but the cool girl comedy style we've I've talked about before, but I actually think she handles it really, really well because in many ways it is a one note character. She just is there to play sass. Yeah. And it's a lovely knowing quality, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But then there's moments where, say, she's injured by the angel in Angels Take yeah. Manhattan. It swings for me in Angels Take Manhattan. She's allowed to show vulnerability. I know she's done it before, but there's that sense of, ah, oh, there's the human underneath and there's the fragility and there's that you're actually on panic stations the entire time we see you, aren't you? Nothing is assured in your life. I like the last kiss 
in mm. the Series 6 opening two-parter where we're warned that the last kiss for her is coming ah. and then we see it happen. She kisses him goodbye. He's never experienced that before. And so she now knows that we've reached that stage of the relationship where she never gets to kiss him goodbye again. Mm. And I think she plays that beautifully and that's – you know, it's such a science fiction thing, but you can still understand how to feel about it. I think it's mm. very good. I like that superb opening sequence in the time of Angels where she escapes yeah. and uh, she's really she's really Catherine Hepburn in that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a that's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Um I just want the revenge of the Atraxi. Why didn't that ever happen? Yeah, they're great. <laughs> you know, that could have been fun. They looked like they were having a ball. Opening titles for the Matt Smith era and the music goes with them. Obviously, we've got two sets of titles um, eventually. How do you feel about the titles sequence for this era? Well, I think we decided the first title, the series five and six title, looks like a colonoscopy, doesn't it, really? Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> the second one looks like the mill threw up in a kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah, I don't like the second one at all. So I don't think either of them are very good. I think the music's okay, but the various David Tennant-related versions that we got during the RTD era I think are pretty great. I think Iconola's version of the theme is really great. I don't think that the theme during Moffat's time on the show is all that good. I do like the little intro sequence that he introduces right at the beginning. It's always with me for this. The little era. horns thing. Dun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, however it goes, I can't, I'm not musically inclined. Yeah. I think it is a sad truth of modern Doctor Who that every time the title sequence and the title music changes, it gets a little bit worse. Mm. Mm. Ooh, ow. <laughs> Speaking of worse, here are a list of people you may know. Well, actually, some are better than others. Amelia. Mandy and Timmy, Elliot, Young Kazran, Little Regenerating Girl, Toby Avery, Adam, Young Mel's, Young Rory, George, Cyril, and Lily Arwell. Ugh, no, actually, they're okay. Laura, the Robot Girl, Digby, and Francesca, and Young Walter, Angie and Artie, Maitland, Mary, Young Clara, Barnabal. They're a list of child actors from this era. <laughs> Do you think there's too many of them? <laughs> About half, half of them like are pretty it. charming. Toby Avery. Toby um, Avery's very good. Who's young the- Amy. Yeah, young Amy's Amelia's yeah. fantastic. Toby Avery's great. Young Kazran's yeah, great. Yeah. I do actually like Cyril and Lily. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Barnabal Edwards is not too bad. <laughs> Tom Tom. <laughs> Tom Tom. <laughs> Tom Tom. <laughs> That's the worst dad joke ever. Yeah. And it's I terrible. just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't care for that question. It didn't work at all. But, but Todd, tell us about some of the ones you didn't like. No, no, don't. <laughs> don't have time. <laughs> Um, okay, so Fraser. How about the little boy from Night Terrors? Tell us about him. George. <laughs> yeah, he's quite well directed. I he think. really plays it well. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that he's given very simple things to do. And so. That's a when, good thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But they direct around him. And that's a beautifully directed story, even if it's not that good a story. Um, Speaking of directors, Peter mentioned some of these people before. Here's some names Jamie Payne, Time of the Doctor, Hyde. Nick Hurren, Day of the Doctor, Asylum, Angels, God Complex, The Girl Who Waited, Saul Metstein, Name of the Doctor, Crimson Horror, Snowmen, Mercy, Dinosaurs, Toby Haynes, 
Impossible Astronaut, Day of the Moon, Christmas Carol, Big Bang, Pandorica, Adam Smith, 11th Hour, Time of the Angels, Flesh and Stone. Richard Clarke, who does Night Terrors and The Doctor's Wife. Yeah, see, they're all good, aren't they? They're all really good. They're I mean, well I think, directed all Yeah. RTD had sort of solid directors, but you've got these new cameras under Moffat and you've got a bit more money and mm. you've got high definition and stuff. And so you get directors like Huron who just do incredible things. Adam I mean, Smith as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper visual style and proper – like Nick Huron in particular is good – no matter the quality of the material. Yeah, so that's true. you mentioned Jamie Payne there. Jamie Payne is also good. I think he does a sterling job of the time of the Doctor, but he can't really save Hyde. Yeah. And Metstein, we Metstein, I think, is really too. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's sort of C- Series 7 specific, isn't he? Yeah. My vote is for Saul, just, not just for consistency of quality, but for the surprising things he does and the variation in what he achieves and, and subtleties. And, yeah, and he's visually explorative and creative. But you're right, everyone who you've mentioned there goes out of their way to not do what's expected on TV. Yeah. It's the inverse of 1980s Doctor Who. Mm. In the Moffat era, it's a shock when something is not well-directed. Yeah. Uh, and I would mm. point towards The Gangers, which I think is a bad script absolutely massacred by its director and cast who, you know, might also be massacred by their director. <laughs> is there a pivotal moment in this era that sticks in your mind? Like that just either sums it up or just is just there that you kind of go, this is Doctor Who for me, this is Matt Smith, this is it. Is it the cliffhanger in the middle of the Angels story where the Graham Norton, little animated (laughs) (laughs) He's determined to ruin our show. (laughs) Fish Fingers and Custard and Amelia absolutely nails it for me. And I thought, you're actually the Doctor I've been waiting for since Tom. And that's just my little fanboy child's 12-year-old person. I felt 12 again. The worst is we've already seen it. It's um, And and she plays it beautifully, Karen and Madame Kevorkian together. Just it's unforgivable for me. And I almost stopped watching. Mm. I think it's incredible that the absolute best moments of the era are the very start and the very end. Yeah. There's a lot of great stuff in between. But for me, the highlights of Matt Smith's time as the Doctor are Time of the Doctor and the first thing that he shoots, Time of Angels. I think those episodes Mm. absolutely knock it out of the park. There's a frenetic energy, isn't there, in Time of Angels? Yeah, there is. Time of Angels, is it roars with new style, I think. I think Paul Connell described Delta and the Bannerman as that once. <laughs> well, that's it's true, too. That's true, too, yeah. It's really incredible. Um, it steps everything up in the writing and the production. And then you have a really successful era. And for my money, you come back and have the saddest and most emotional farewell to a doctor ever in time of the doctor. I think it's pretty amazing. The tent poles. That moment where Clara kneels down in front of the doctor because he can't pull the Christmas cracker he's too weak because he's so old and she holds it and pulls it like she's kind of looking after her grandfather or something i think that's incredible so good and the scene where she's talking to the time lords through the crack if you love him and you should 
so good. But I think that I genuinely think that one thing you never put in a trap speech at the end of Time of Angels is pretty great. And it's one of those sort of let's showcase the doctor. I guess him telling the Atraxi to run at the end, that's deliberately engineered to Punch be. Well, it's the moment he becomes the doctor. He puts the bow tie on. He steps forward through the montage of other doctors and says, I'm the doctor, yeah. basically run. And the delivery of that line is so perfect. It's really, you know, leave great. all these dead thesps behind me. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> but, yes, I'm going to go back to um, Richard and it's that fish, fingers and custard moment in that dialogue where he says, well, I'm talking about the crack in your wall and it just got to me like, you know, he became the doctor in that moment. Yeah. That was just, I think, extraordinary. In that moment where he's being all light and childish with Amy and then he drops and says, that must be one hell of a scary crack in your wall. Mm-hmm. It's also a very kind of Moffaty thing to have him deduce that, mm. you know, that that um, the Doctor, uh, as conceived by Moffat and maybe Matt more than Peter, is someone who who makes deductions, and so he's deduced that the wall is the important thing because Amelia is so unfazed by all the other weird stuff that's happening in that scene. Fraser Gregory. Says, in 10 years' time, what do you think your overriding memory impression of the era will be? Joy. Yeah, I think it'll still be a highlight. Yeah, three years when you could utterly rely on Doctor Who. Anarchic, creative, dangerous, on a spin. Mm. And we know what Mr Moffat was going through in the middle of this, So, and it definitely reflects in what we see on screen. Yeah, it's so much energy. And a climax in the 50th where all of fandom was celebrating the show and the wider public as well. It was huge, well. wasn't it? Mm. And a really successful special with the Day of the Doctor and then yeah. a really beautiful goodbye with Time of the Doctor. I yeah. mean, it's poetic, isn't it? How did that go in the US? I wasn't on that one when we recorded it. How did Day of the Doctor do outside of the UK, Todd, as a... I don't know. Do you remember no. the figures for it? Broadly successful all around the world. Yeah. Well, the Matt Smith era is the most successful in is the United States. Is it now? I thought States. that was Tenant. No, no, no absolutely, no. Matt Smith. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Is that because of promotion? There was a real attempt to do it and to make it a jumping on point as well. You know, you've got an uh, automatic jumping on point. Remember also the uh, the little thing where Amy narrated the premise of the show at the That's beginning right. of the thing. So it was very definitely intended to try and garner an audience. And then you've got the shooting on location in the United States at the beginning of series six and so on. And it's an unremarked upon fact that Doctor Who during the Matt Smith era moved more towards generic sci-fi fantasy stateside and provided, you know, not very much. It was still essentially Doctor Who-ish. But in that team of the Doctor and Amy and Rory, you had a team of leads who you could transpose to something like Supernatural and it would still work. Mm. Mm. Yes, I think my overall thing in in 10 years' time, it, it's the four of them. It's the mm. Doctor, Amy, Rory and River and finding out who she is and the bringing of that family together. That just sits with me. I think the fact that Amy and Rory dominate the era so much for two and a half years and Matt, Matt's boyish enthusiasm, the old man trapped in the young man's body, the way he portrays that, I think they're the things that, you know, plus that theme music at the beginning just is, is something that I sort of take with me. 
I so, think you'll still be talking about Lillian Cyril in 10 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> um, another final listener question, Nathan Bottomley asks, what is the best story of the Matt era? Is that what I ask? Yes. What is that the best story? Very of- imaginative. <laughs> wow. Have you met your podcast? <laughs> the best story of Matt's era, I am going to say is... I'm going to say the Pandorica opens in the Big Bang, Ooh. Ooh. Uh, but I'm probably wrong. I, I mean, the Angels two-parter is incredible. I think Town Called Mercy is incredible. But that two-parter and just everything that happens there and the way that it's so much about Moffat's approach to the show as a series of stories, that Doctor Who isn't a world where a Time Lord has adventures, it's a type of story that you can tell. And that nearly becomes completely explicit in that two-parter. It's very, very central to Moffat's kind of a conception of what he's doing when he's running the show. So, And plus it's just really entertaining. Time of Angels two parter mm. by a hair, by a hair on Pretty Angel Bob's head. Mm. Victory a- of the Daleks, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so much fun. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, no, I, um, Has anyone mentioned Angels in Manhattan? Yeah, okay. I yep. think maybe that one, mm-hmm. and not for the reasons I would have thought whilst watching it, but just in hindsight, there's a gorgeous sense of what we are now about to lose. Yeah. And it's got the centrality of storytelling Mm. as well. It's really well told. Yeah. I think they're all great. Like it's so hard to choose. I keep going, coming back to the 11th hour, which I adore. Yeah. Um, It's perfect storytelling, isn't it? You know, and the Christmas Carol is at the other end of that season, even though I'm saying it's not my favourite. The the way it's written is just so incredibly clever. We tend to bookend the Christmas stories, but they are possibly, if I had a favourite, yes, the snowman and Christmas Carol would be favourites. got the Jenny Laird Award nominations, if there's any, to be given to anyone. How many children did you mention? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Richard. We'll go with that for me, although it was going to be something to do with the direction of Nightmare in Silver, I think. Oh, no, it's shockingly poorly directed, really quite amateurish. I think maybe that is it, that you give him a really good director for his first story, I'm talking Gaiman, and then Gaiman starts to develop the feeling that this is the sort of thing that Doctor Who can routinely do. And then you give this guy the job of doing the second Neil Gaiman script, which is not as strong as the first one, and then he's completely blown out of the water by how amateurishly it's directed. It's a big, big, weird creative choice. I think the entirety of the Gangers two-parter, it just doesn't sit well with me. There's kernels of good ideas in there which don't go anywhere. The performances are all really off, and I've seen some yeah. of those performs in yeah. other roles, and they've been absolutely fine. They've so all been I good. Can, I can only imagine it's the direction, but it's weird performance ticks, and the whole thing is an unsettling mess. It's the melange, isn't it, of Colonel Mustard in the spa with the latex dildo. Nothing is coming together well. <laughs> Did you use the D word? Possibly. <laughs> I know what your Jenny Laird Award is. Besides the the prevalence of child actors, it's the, the nudity in Time of the Doctor. <laughs> oh, the nudity in Time of the Doctor. It doesn't – it's a bit What icky. nudity? We nudity. didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> is it cut out? It's also 
the appalling wig they put on Matt because now I seen it. I can't unsee it. Do you know what I mean? Like I just keep looking. That's <laughs> not his hair. That's not right. What it about Amy's work. hair at the end? <laughs> That's a wig as well. That's her choice. <laughs> Amy's choice. It does feel very too Ronnie's Christmas special, doesn't it? Once they get the wigs out. Where is this going to go? Well, from the worst to the best or our Bonnie Langford for the most startling discovery or moment in this entire era. I think I'm going to give it to Nick Huron. I'm going to give it to Nick Huron because he does some Sherlock, I think, as well, and he mm. he establishes the visual style of that show. I think he's amazing. He's the one possible person that you could have got back to do The Day of the Doctor. That was absolutely the right choice because that was such an important episode. Yep. He's really, really good. And I think that uh, he introduces something completely novel in the way that uh, the God Complex is told. I think that Doctor Who has never been as visually adventurous as that, not even in his previous story, which is also very stylish. But, yeah, he's incredible. I might give the Bonnie Langford to James Corden because he is extremely Marmite. Yeah. Um, maybe more on the dislike than the like side for a lot of people. But I think that those two episodes, Closing Time and The Lodger, yeah. give him a sympathetic character to play and he actually rises to the occasion. He's good. He's a them. good performer and he plays very, very well. You know, And we have to also always remember that the actor is not the personality of the, you know, of the performer. They are different species and his work should not be ID'd with who he is as a person. Yes. Um, because then we wouldn't really like many people, Anyone, would we? Really? <laughs> yeah, and to give Matt his due, he's a very generous leading man. You he can is. see him giving space to James Corden yeah. to build that relationship between them because the episode, yeah. specifically The Lodger, relies on yeah. that. And he's smart enough to know that it always reflects well on him because mm. those silent moments, you're actually watching The Doctor. So you go back to, oh, you're quiet. I'm going to look at you. Yeah. Um, mine would be Caitlin, young yeah. Amelia. She's just adorable. You just- that was mine. Oh, well, you can have it too. We can share. You can have she, Stormageddon. She, <laughs> you can have the slippers and I'll have the dressing gown. We, we, can, we can both cosplay her. And otherwise, as an umbrella, it's the discovery of Saul, Mr. Metstein. Yeah. Just delightful. Yeah. yeah, we've got a big episode to direct. Better call Saul. Um, Boomtish. Yeah, Caitlin. Like, if if she hadn't worked at the beginning of that episode, yep. yeah. then- yep. And obviously Matt as well, but I wanted – the moment that it goes from young Amelia to Amy, I just went, oh. I, I <laughs> no, keep, I did. I, I did. did that as well at the time. I did yeah. at the time. Yeah. I just thought, oh, I want that character. This yeah. is not what I'm getting. Anyway, that's my one moment in that 11th hour that – anyway. That's for history. You see Amy all the way through, don't you? You see young Amy – Karen Gillan, Amy, old Amy, and yeah. the girl who waited, and then the horrible vision of the future with Grandma Etta. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be coming round for you. <laughs> Moving forward, series eight. Thoughts, expectations, discoveries, where does it sit with you as we embark on this next journey? I think series eight is Moffat's most RTD style series. And it does start to create a world for Jenna to inhabit, like it starts to kind of do something about her character. I also think that Moffat ups his game a bit because he's got Capaldi and he doesn't want to embarrass himself or Capaldi after 
you know, actually getting him, which I think was a bit of a coup, even though he's the most tragic fanboy in human yeah. history. Um, I'm right here. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. It's episode 253 Ouch. of Flight Through Entirety. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really interesting. I am less certain about Series 9. I'm actually looking forward to going back and looking at that again because I haven't been back there and so I don't really know what I think of it. I think Series 8 is going to be better than I think it is, and I think it's pretty good. I'm with you in that I think Series 8 is a bit criminally underlooked by others, maybe because of a few faults that sort of beacon out or glare out. But I actually think that it's actually pretty solid. There's some missteps, but I think it's terribly underrated. I'm just looking forward to seeing what those missteps are and also what they're doing with the character of the Doctor, which I didn't sit well with me at the time, even though I actually quite like the final journey, but that's for another time. So Series 8 is going to be really interesting. Uh, absolutely everything you've said, yeah. But I'm be curious to see how he can top this. And by topping, I just mean vary from it because there's so many wildly careering, not always successful, but certainly sitting on that roller coaster is not dull. So, sorry, Journey to the TARDIS, but, you know, I sort of I, that was a bathroom break for me. But <laughs> otherwise, yeah, I'm really interested to see. And, again, I haven't watched it since it was shown, so how that's going to flow for us all. Very excited about Capaldi. Do you remember the, the bars of, oh, thank goodness it's him. Yeah. When the announcement came through. Did you feel like that, Todd, when you heard Capaldi's announced? Yeah, a bit of a casting? shrug from my end. No, I, I just I'm went, so oh, I just didn't, um, it was sort of like, it was expected to be him. Like was in, it? I, that's what I felt oh, in the days okay. leading up. It was sort of like, it, that was the name. And so then it was like, oh, okay, thank goodness it is. Like, or, I was a big fan of the thick of it. So yeah. I was definitely in and, for, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. All right, my final question. Snog, marry, avoid. Matt Smith, John Hurt, David Tennant. Um, I'm going to snog Matt Smith. I'm definitely going to marry John Hurt. Yeah. Um, but we'll avoid takeaway Chinese food, obviously. And um, I'm going to avoid David Tennant. It's the teeth. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll avoid all of them. My heart still belongs to John Pertwee. I couldn't agree more, although Sean's pretty good runner-up these days. I like David Tennant, am I going out on a limb here, less and less with every passing year. And yet I was delighted to see him at the end of the season we've just seen in his Motley Crew mix-up little suit doing his teeth thing. He really can carry the energy. He's completely convincing as a doctor, but I find him so actorly in what he does in a way that totally different that I found Matt completely natural, slightly panicked, a very – Perfect. He, he is the perfect era. So, uh, when I marry Matt, I've also seen Matt naked in several interviews. In several interviews. In several. <laughs> that, no, that's in my head. In several <laughs> photos. And I'm perfectly happy to have a long term with Matt following that. Um, and also, he really knows how to kick balls. Um, so, after that, sportingly, um, who, are, who are we avoiding? John Hurt would be a lot of fun to hang out with. 
as well. It's funny, isn't it? Because David Tennant is the acme of what I think the general public yep. see yeah. the Doctor as. And yep. like Peter Baldy may be for fans what they say. And Matt Smith somehow manages to be both. Exactly right. of Series 8. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can keep up with us at Flight Through Entirety on Facebook, at FTE Podcast on Twitter and on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our other podcasts, Bonfinger, Jody Into Terror, Maximum Power and Untitled Star Trek Project. Until next time, we'll always remember when the Doctor was Matt. Thank you very much for listening and good night. See you soon. Raggedy Man, good night. And happy bond fingering, if you so choose. That was Flight Through Entirety, starring Todd Bilby, Nathan Bottomley, Peter Griffiths and Richard Stone. Theme arrangement by Cameron Lamb. This episode, Comedy to High Drama, was recorded on the 12th of December 2022 and released on New Year's Day 2023. Some time off now to start work on our coverage of the Capaldi era, and we'll be back in your podcatcher in April. But let's remember the real podcast was always the friends we made along the way. See you soon. Let's move on to oh, well, actually, before we move on, uh, um, Matt's costume does change mm. this season from Raggedy Man. In towards the end of this season, is it closing time or is it before then that it changes? No, no, it actually changes halfway through series uh, uh, seven. No, he means the big brown coat and everything. The big green coat. Yeah, he, he puts on one Colour of those. They <laughs> <laughs> used to be able to buy them in the 80s at op shops that were German. No, um, let's, okay, uniform let's, coats. let's scrub that. We'll, it's cute. I'll talk about Matt's outfit later I, on. I like, I was, all I would say is I, I like the costume change because, again, they're doing things that young fans could actually go to an op shop and buy. And yeah. those, those, Cavalry coats were around, you know, yeah. back in the nineties in grey and that colour green. So, whoever was costuming for this one, I don't recall who that was, but I like that sense of the kids can actually do this. It really, really works nicely in the same way that Tom's one did. It, mm. it, it, it brings an immediacy to the audience and lets them be the Doctor in a lovely way. Well, you can get question mark pullovers at any op shop. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the sympathy laugh, Nathan. <laughs> that got a sigh. That was to go into a into a. Uh, now we're just putting interstitial in there. That got a sigh. That got a sigh of memory there, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, series. Let's go to series seven. Um, where do we sit with everything now? How do we feel about it?